Well, today we are continuing this series we started last week uh, called uh, Epic, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but I want to give you a chance, uh, if you're brand new, be sure to reach inside your program and take out your message note sheet, because that'll help you follow along. If you guys are ready to go, I'm going to jump in. You ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're, uh, we're excited to be here on kind of a rainy day, uh, but we just want to wake up, come into your presence, and have you speak and lead and teach. We're hungry for you. Uh, we want to experience your, your plan for our life, this epic plan that started before time, that's being worked out in time, and then will come to fruition at the perfect time. And God, as we learned last week, that we are not called to live mundane lives. We are called to live epic lives in the deepest sense of the word. And so we pray as we come today and gather on your word, you would speak. Your spirit, spirit of God, would be here. That he would speak to us, awaken us to this vision you have for our lives. And we would go out with clear direction about how to turn mundane into, a back, into epic. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are continuing this series that we uh, started last week. It's called Epic, the Vision. For those of you who are brand new, uh, welcome. This is a vision. Uh, this is a, ser- a series about uh, a letter that was written from a man named the Apostle Paul to uh, a group of churches that were in the area of uh, Ephesus, which is a major city, kind of 250,000 people. Uh, capital of Asia Minor. Uh, it's in modern-day Turkey. And so uh, in, in this series, uh, what, what Paul's going to lay out, in, and I talked this last week, is that probably more than any other letter that Paul wrote, uh, in this series, kind of Paul uh, lays out this epic vision that God has for all of creation. And it's a vision that started before time began. Uh, it's a vision that's being worked out in real time, right here, right now. And it's a vision that will be brought to fruition at perfect time, at the end of time, when Jesus comes back, will lead into ageless, uh, uh, endless ages, as Paul calls it. And so what we learned last week, because when we come to Jesus, we find out that we have been chosen before time began to play a part, an important role in this epic vision, and that, that our lives are truly epic, not in a hyped up, superficial, artificial kind of way, but in a way that's rooted in the reality of God himself. And so what we did last week as we got started is we started by uh, looking at the first 14 verses, which was kind of a big picture intro to this uh, letter where Paul lays out this vision. Um, And then I promised that in the three successive weeks, we would come back and we would uh, kind of break it down in greater detail, so have a a better, clear view of this vision and where our lives fit in it. And so that's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to look at just the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 1. And then I'm going to ask three questions at the end that bring out kind of implications for our lives, practical application. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Epic, the Intro. And you have your Bibles, you got your apps, so let's go ahead and open up, turn on to chapter 1 and verse 1 of Ephesians. So... As we saw last week, this is sort of the intro, and Paul often starts his letters. He always starts them by introducing who he is and, and, and then uh, kind of identifying who he's writing to. And in many ways, this is kind of like an email today. Uh, you know, if you stop and think about it, like our letters, if, if you go old school and write a letter, um, that uh, when you get a letter, unless it has a, a return address on the front, and unless you recognize the handwriting, you don't know who it's from. It might be an eight-page letter. And so typically, what do you do? You, you flip it over to go to the back and say, who's this from, right? Um, like if someone writes some critique of the church, I'm going to go to the end, like, who's this from, you know? Do I pay attention or throw it away? No, just kidding. Uh, and so in ancient times, they would start their letters differently. It makes a lot more sense. They would start with who it's from and who it's to, 
And so Paul starts off with a very standard greeting, very similar to what uh, any ancient letter would be written with a, who it's from, who it's to, kind of a blessing. And so, but the way he starts off is very significant. He starts off, he introduces himself as an apostle. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now let's talk about this word. Uh, apostle, um, it, apostle is used in a wide variety of ways in the New Testament. Um, the, the word itself comes from the Greek word apostello, which means to send. And so uh, apostle literally is a messenger. That's all it is. It's a messenger. It doesn't have to be you know, like a, a spiritual message. It's a, it's a messenger. Um, but Paul is using this term in a technical sense. So let's go back to our series in the Gospel of Mark. Remember that like way back, you know, a year ago? Um, <laughs> That uh, remember when Jesus uh, chooses uh, his, his early on in his ministry, he chooses 12 men to kind of travel with him, learn from him, be with him, accompany him in his ministry. And then when he left, he commissioned them. He said, I'm leaving, but uh, you're going to lead the movement. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to bring to your mind everything I've said to you, and he'll continue to teach you. And so he kind of designated them as the official representatives of his movement, his official spokesman. And so you may remember this in Acts chapter 1 when, you know, of course, Judas defects. They choose a new, a new uh, another 12th member, uh, Matthias. And one of the criteria is he had to be with us the whole time from when Jesus started the ministry to the end. And he has to be a witness of the resurrection because that's the whole Christianity is all about, the resurrection, right? So, and so th- these are kind of official spokesmen uh, for Jesus. Now, the interesting thing here is that Paul identifies himself as an apostle. And Paul wasn't one of the 12. And so how did he get to be what? You know? um, and so if you know the story of Paul, we, we learn in Acts chapter 9 that one of the greatest enemies of the early movement of Jesus was the apostle Paul. Uh, that he, he hated Jesus. He thought he was a false messiah. And it was kind of his responsibility to stop this growing movement. And so he was one of the greatest persecutors. In fact, uh, in Acts chapter 9, we're told that one day that he was uh, taking an entourage uh, to uh, Damascus from Jerusalem, 200 miles away, long trip. He's, just, he's like bounty hunting on Christians. He's looking for Christ followers to bring back, arrest them, beat them, try to get them to blaspheme, wait, uh, kind of vote for their death and so on. And on, as they're getting close to Damascus, Jesus shows up, resurrected Jesus, alive Jesus. Remember, Paul thinks he's dead. He's alive. He's shining with glory, the glory of God, right? And so it's like all of a sudden, Paul has a come to Jesus moment, right? And, and so what he expects is that Jesus says, you're, that, you know, what you did is really bad. You're dead, you know? But instead, Jesus says, uh, I've chosen you. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm, I've chosen you uh, to speak for me and to be my representative, especially to non-Jewish people, Gentiles. And so Paul becomes a, a witness of the resurrection. He's seen the resurrected Jesus, and he becomes an apostle and an official spokesman. Now, so he starts his letters like this because this is really important, as we'll see later on. This becomes very important. Uh, he claims, he makes this big claim, I'm an apostle, that I've been chosen by Jesus, I've been chosen by God to speak for him officially. This becomes very important later on in the letter. We'll talk about that, okay? So he goes on. And he says, now, so we, we know who it's from. Now we know who it's to. It's to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. A uh, couple of things there. Remember Christ. Uh, Christ is, uh, we, we did this last week, so he should be better. Christ means what? Yeah, Messiah. Uh, and, and so Messiah, I, I could go on. Messiah means what? But most of you won't know. But Messiah is Hebrew. Messiah means anointed what? Okay, so it comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. 
which means uh, anointed one. And anointed one means king. It means a king, right? So in the Old Testament, like when David uh, was anointed by Saul, he was anointed with the, whole, the oil, representing the Holy Spirit, to be anointed a king. And so this became a term for the kings of Israel. They became known as the sons of God. They became known as uh, the anointed ones. As a, uh, and so the ultimate king, the ultimate son of God was going to be the Messiah. And so what I want you to catch is that when you see words like, uh, uh, like Christ, it's really not so much a last name as it is a title. It means king, king over the universe. Uh, like we'll see in just a second, Lord Jesus Christ. Like Lord isn't a religious term. Lord is a political term. Right? So, so uh, in the Roman Empire, you'd say Caesar is Lord. So, so when we talk about Lord Jesus Christ, the only real personal name there is Jesus. Uh, Lord means emperor, uh, ruler over all creation, Christ, Messiah, king. And so he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So this word saints, um, we know who it's from, apostle. And now it's sent to the saints. We talked about it last week briefly. We'll talk more today. But saints is really uh, just the, the normal name for a Christ follower in the New Testament. Nothing special. We hear the, we hear the word, um, well, I, I should put it out, everything special, but you know what I'm saying? That we often th- hear the word saint, we think of like super spiritual, right? High achiever uh, spiritually, kind of overachiever. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. But in the New Testament, saint's the normal word for a Christ follower. And so he says, to the saints in Ephesus. Now, in my Bible, um, after Ephesus, there's a little footnote. uh, There's a little letter A. And at the bottom, it says, some early manuscripts do not have in Ephesus. And what they're telling you, what translators are telling you, is that of of all the Greek manuscripts we have of Ephesians, um, that are, of course, copies of the original, that, that many of them don't have this phrase, in Ephesus. And so this has led scholars to believe that this letter of Ephesians was probably written, written to a wider audience than just the church at Ephesus. And one of the reasons is, is from the book of Acts, we know that Paul spent more time at Ephesus than any other city. He spent like two and a half years there, and he was very well known in the whole region. And when we get into chapter 3, he'll say some things um, that, that cause you to believe that these readers, many of these readers have never met him. And so, um, so scholars believe that this was probably what we call a circular letter. In other words, it was a general, kind of a generic letter written to people in this area of Asia Minor to many different churches, and that because Ephesus was the capital, 250,000 people, the most important city, that this, this name eventually got attached to it. Uh, uh, but it's probably a wider audience. Okay, and so we, we know who it's from, we know who it's to. Now here comes this, this, um, this third, this, uh, verse 3. And in verse 3, he starts this very long word of praise and worship. We talked about it last week. In fact, I was, I was so fascinated by this, I just threw this out as kind of extra credit. But so many of you came after, afterwards or through the week, hey, what was that word? Uh, I, I told you this, that what happens is in verses 3 through 14, in, in this 12 verses, in those 12 verses, that in the Greek, it's just all one long sentence, right? And it's this long sentence where, God, where Paul is praising God for who he is, what he's done, this epic vision for all creation through Christ to bring glory to himself, this long praise. Uh, and I told you, in Hebrew, it's called a barakah, uh, that, that Paul was Jewish. He grew up going to synagogue. Uh, he, the early churches were kind of modeled on synagogues. That's what they were, they're all Jews. They're kind of, it was like, like Jewish services often. And so, um, 
and so that in, in a Jewish service, there would often be this barakah, which was a long kind of praise, uh, kind of a formal prayer of praise and worship to God. It's creator of all the universe and the sustainer of all the universe and from this kind of a thing. And so what Paul is doing is he's updating the barakah now that we know who Messiah is and the bigger plan of God. And so he's updating it in line of that. And so he's this long uh, barakah. And so here's how you spell it. A lot of you said, how do you spell that? All right. So here you go. It's B-E-R-E-K-A-H. And it comes from the word to bless, you know, from, from Brock. So anyway, Barakah. So anyway, he's going to jump in, and we're going to look at this just one verse as he starts off, because it's very important. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we already talked about the emperor, Jesus, king, okay? uh, who has blessed us, Christ followers, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, a lot there. And I want to spend some time unpacking. It's going to take a few minutes of this. We're going to unpack this because we come now in many ways to the heart of Paul's theology. We, we come to the very core of who he is, how he understands our faith, what he's trying to communicate to us, what God has communicated to him to communicate to us about it, what it means to be a Christ follower. And the, the two phrases I want you to focus on are these phrases, in Christ, and this phrase, in the heavenly places. Okay? You understand these, you understand kind of the heart of what Paul's going to be talking about in all of his letters. And what, what Paul's going to say is um, that when we come to Jesus, our eyes are open, we see Jesus, we, we come to faith in Jesus, we become a follower of Jesus, what he's going to say is that we are organically linked to Jesus. That through the Holy Spirit, there's an organic link that happens between us and Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Paul's way of describing us, he says, we are in Christ. Okay? Now, so to understand this, um, before you come to Jesus, Paul would say you're in Adam. Okay? So remember, in Paul's thinking, there's only two men in the human race. There's two leaders of the human race. There's Adam, and there is Christ. Now, and, and by the way, he often calls Christ the second or the last Adam. They're kind of two leaders of the race. So uh, if you were here the weekend um, of uh, after Christmas, I know a lot of you weren't, because even though I told you it's really important, you slept in. But um, <laughs> we finished the Genesis Chronicles, right? And so in that, in that, in that uh, week, we, we, looked at, um, we, we looked at a passage in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Paul spells this out. He says, you know, there's kind of two leaders of the human race. He said, first of all, there's Adam. And as human beings, we were all born as sons and daughters of Adam. And we all inherited uh, kind of both genetically and spiritually his life was passed on to us. And so Adam was like our representative of our race. Like we send a representative to Congress to represent us, or we send an ambassador to represent us. And so he was representing us. And so when he rebelled against God, it was the race rebelling against God. And as a result, all the effects of his rebellion. Remember we talked in Genesis, the death at every level, kind of moral, spiritual, relational, psychological, physical, the death of Christ, that the, all the results of his rebellion get passed on to us. This is why we're born the way we are. We're born in Adam. We're born, in fact, we get to chapter two of Ephesians. Paul will say that we were all, before he came to we were part of Adam's race. We were part of the rebel race with this natural pull to the dark side. We're enemies of God. We were under the leadership of Satan. 
And so, so we, we are, we, we're born in Adam. His choices impact us. We're in Adam. We're connected to Adam, right? And then in Romans 5, Paul says, but what's happened is a second man has come to create a new humanity, a new race. And this man, he came to turn back the hands of time. And whereas Adam failed to obey God, he obeyed God to the very end. And so he died to sin, right? He, he chose to die to sin and not to go to sin. He died on the cross, not just for our sins. He died to sin, to rebellion. And then he rose, conquering death. And then now he's at the right hand of God, and he's overthrown. Kind of, He's the ultimate authority in the universe. He's, he's ruled over uh, all the powers of darkness. So that's where he sat, over all demonic powers. Now, he hasn't kind of demonstrated that power and, and pulled that power together on earth yet, but he, he rules ultimately over all. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, so here's what happens, is that when a person comes to Jesus, and you, you believe in Jesus, and we'll see later, you're baptized into Jesus. That when you, when you are born again, you, you're, you're transferred into Jesus, catch this, now all the effects of his obedience come to you. Just like all the the bad stuff came through Adam, all the good stuff comes through Jesus. And so you get credit for his life, for the life he lived, as if you lived it. Right? And, and you now are connected with Jesus through his spirit. And so the death that he died to sin, you're connected. You have now died to sin. And the resurrection that he rose by the power of the spirit, you have now risen with Christ to a new life. This is why, as Christ was, we have power over sin. This is why, as Christ followers, you, know, you can read all the self-help books you want, but you won't have power to change, but Jesus gives us power to change because we've been connected to him. We are experiencing his resurrection life. And as followers of Jesus, we now even sit in the heavenlies with him, connected with Jesus. We have power and authority over demonic forces because of our connection with Jesus. This is why we get to Ephesians chapter 6. He says we're in this spiritual battle. He says, be strong, quote, in the Lord. So this concept of being in Christ is core to everything Paul teaches. You're not in Adam and Christ. In fact, I was looking at it yesterday before I came. I just pulled out my Greek Testament to say how many times in the Barakah does he say in Christ or in him? You know, in 12 verses, he says it 10 times. Paul cannot talk about our walk with Jesus about talking about us being in Jesus. You see that you, outside of Jesus, we have nothing but death. When you when we come inside Jesus, you're connected to everything that Jesus has. And this is why he says that all the spiritual blessings, the blessings of the Holy Spirit, are yours in Christ. If you have Christ, you have everything. You are linked. I like to think of this in computer terms, right? So I like to think of it like before we came to Jesus, we were hardwired to Adam, we had all of Adam in us. We all have this, this natural pull, the dark side, the death, the judgment, the rebellion, the whole thing. We're hardwired. When we come to Jesus, we go online with Jesus. And now we are connected with Jesus. Well, where is Jesus? He's in the clouds, right? So we are in the cloud, connected with Jesus, with his life and his power and his resurrection. This is why we have the power to live a new life. So, so, you're, so you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. But if you're in Christ, you get everything that comes with Christ. Right? Everything. We'll talk about the implications of that later. 
All right, so those are the first three verses. Who is from? Apostle. Who is to? Saints. Uh, who were connected with? Jesus. Uh, and based on those three concepts, I would ask three questions. All right, we're going to get real practical now. So as we go into this new year, as we talk about living an epic life, like last week, how do we do an epic life, not a mundane life? I want to ask you three really practical questions that will help us uh, get going in that direction. And I got to tell you, as we go in, then uh, some of these will not be obvious right up front. You'll say, like, what? I don't even get, where, where did that question even come from? Just trust me, it will all come together. Number one, the first question I want to start with is, what is your final authority in your life? What's your final authority? And you say, well, what do you mean, what's your final authority? Well, what I mean is that, like, when you're making decisions in your life about what you believe, you know, well, what do you believe? Spirit, what do you believe about heaven and hell? What do you believe about that? What, what do you believe about the path to life? What do you believe about right and wrong? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about parenting? What do you believe about marriage? What you, like, what, why do you do what you do? What's your final authority? Like, like, why do you do what you do? Why do you believe what you believe? And I think if we're honest, that for most of us, it's, a, it's kind of like a collage of reasons. Like, for some of us, it's tradition. Well, this is the way I was raised. That's what my parents taught me. Uh, for others of us, it's, uh, well, this is what I learned in school. And I, I went to uh, college, and I, I've been educated, really highly educated, and so... I've learned this is kind of the, the common kind of uh, perspective out there. And so this, this is what I, like, uh, for others, if it's our friends, well, it's what my friends all believe. And we're all influenced by that, right? Uh, for others of us, um, it will be popular culture. Uh, it will be kind of, well, this is kind of what out there most people seem to believe. Uh, for others, it's some sort of religious tradition. It may be the Bible. It could be New Age philosophy. It could be uh, uh, Hindu writings. Um, it could be uh, some collage of that, but it's some sort of religious uh, kind of instruction is, is like an authority, gives authority to our life. But the reality uh, for all of us is that for most of us, if we're honest, we're a collage. We are a mixture that uh, even as Christ followers would say, well, our final authority is Jesus and the word of God and stuff. Even for us, it's really not true that we're really a mix, that we, we really, we're, we're most of us are sort of a mix. But what I want to point out to you is that this question of what's your final authority is one of the most important questions you could ever ask in your life. Um, And this is really the issue that Paul is getting at when he introduces himself as an apostle. This is the issue. This is why he introduced himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Like, why is he introducing himself that way? Because in this letter, he's going to challenge us. Because in this letter, he's going to say some very controversial things. We get into chapter 2 and chapter 3. Paul's going to say some very controversial things for his day. Not so much for our day, a little bit for our day, but for his day. We get in chapters 4 through 6. He's going to say a lot of controversial things for our day. Not so much his day, but our day. Wherever the message of Jesus goes, it's always controversial. It always rubs against prevailing opinion at some, well, at some level. And so the reason that he starts off introducing himself as an apostle is he wants to be crystal clear at the beginning, hey, uh, just to be clear on who I am. What I'm about to share with you in this letter is not my opinions. What I'm about to share with you is direct revelation 
from Jesus Christ. And therefore, to reject this is to reject Jesus. This is the claim. He's, it's a huge claim. Huge claim. But that's the claim he's making, and that's why he's making the claim. And you see this, for example, this, this, this concept of apostolic authority is an extremely important concept for us today in our lives. We don't talk about it a lot, but it's extremely important. I want to show you this. There in your note sheet, I put a passage from chapter 2 in Ephesians, and I put it in the New Living Translation, which is still clear. And in this passage, Paul is speaking to these Ephesians that are Gentiles. Remember, Paul's a, a Jew, but he's speaking to Gentiles. Now, before the coming of Jesus, Gentiles were completely outsiders as far as a Jewish concern. From a Gentile mindset, they thought the Jews were all crazy, so who cares? Right? But from a Jewish mindset, we're the people of God. We're, we're the insiders. You guys are all dogs. That's what they'd actually call them. You're kind of fodder for hell. That's why you were made. Right? So every morning, a pious Jewish man, one of his prayers is, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Every day. Right? And so, for, for, Gent- so, so for, for a Jew, this is how they look at it. So now, so now Gentiles are now coming into this movement of Jesus that's predominantly early on a Jewish movement. Right? And, and Jews traditionally would see them as outsiders. But what Paul's going to say in chapter 2 is through Jesus, all the old barriers have broken down. There is no Jew and Gentile. We're just like Jesus followers now. We're Messiah followers. We're king followers. And so he says, you're, you're no longer outsiders. You're insiders. And he's going to use three analogies. He's going to say, God is building a new nation, and you're citizens. He's going to say, God is creating a new family, and you're members. He's say, God is building a new temple, a new house, a new temple, and you're stones in it. Okay, three analogies. So here we go. So he says, uh, you, you Christ followers, you are citizens along with God's holy people. You're no longer outsiders, you're citizens. You are members of God's family. Second analogy. Now here comes the third analogy. This is where it gets interesting. Together we are his house. And in context as you go on, he's talking about the house of God, the temple of God. We're, we're the new temple of God. So it's not in Jerusalem anymore. We're, we're it. And he says, together we are his house, and this house is built on the foundation of what? The apostles and what? Prophets. Okay, he says, this whole house that God's building is built on the foundation, apostles and prophets. And then he goes on, he says, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. So what he's saying is, God is doing something new. He's building this new temple. And he, the first stone you lay in this new temple that God's building is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. When you put a cornerstone down, it sets the lines of the whole building. Everything has to line up with the cornerstone. Most important stone, right? He says, but the foundation of this building are apostles and prophets, right? These spokesmen that Jesus had called to, to speak for him, they're the official spokesmen of the movement. So what he's saying is that this whole movement of Jesus is built on the teaching of the apostles. So I want you to catch this. We often don't realize this. When Jesus was here, he didn't tell us everything. He, he did the important stuff, his life, his death, and resurrection. That's the basis of everything, our, our redemption. But he said, there's more to come. He says, there's things I haven't revealed to you yet because you're not ready. Remember John 14 through 16? He said to the apostles, you're not yet ready. But uh, in the future, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll take what I said. He will build on that. And so I want you to catch this. The apostles take the building, the, the foundation of Jesus, and they build it out. 
the implications. Here's what his life means. Here's what his death means. Here's what his teaching means. They build on that, and they speak for Jesus. And so what this means is to reject the teaching of the apostles is to reject whom? Jesus himself. And this is why it's so important that Paul is establishing this. This is why, by the way, for us, you say, as modern-day Christ followers, why do we read this book? Why are we reading Ephesians? Why not read Plato? Why not read uh, Barnabas? Why not read other things? Because when the early church was deciding, what do we include as official scripture? One of their top criteria of uh, how do we know something is inspired by the Holy Spirit? One of their top criteria is, is it written by or associated with an apostle? You see? And so when we gather here in this service and we study, what we are doing is we're building our lives and our church on the foundation of the apostles. Are you with me here? You following? And so this becomes extremely important because sometimes you'll hear people say today something like this. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not so sure about Paul. You'll often hear this. A controversial topic will come up. Maybe it's, uh, in our culture, homosexuality, like we talked about a few weeks ago. Maybe it's uh, the role of men and women, whether it's in ministry or in uh, church life or home life. Maybe it's the death of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, the concept of atonement and propitiation. And what you'll hear some people say, and sometimes they'll claim to be followers of Jesus, and they may be, just not very up-to-date ones, but they will say, I believe, you know, well, Jesus never taught on that. You'll say, yeah, but the Bible is clear. Yeah, but Jesus never taught on that. Well, Paul taught on that. Yeah, but I don't trust Paul. I trust Jesus. You see how this works out? And it's very important that we're clear. So what they're saying is there, I believe Jesus is speaking for God. I don't believe Paul is speaking for God, is what they're saying. And what you're saying that is you start taking stones out of the foundation of your life in church. Every time you say that, you say, what you're doing, you say, okay, this, that this new building, temple of God, I want to experience the presence of God in my life. I want him to dwell in my life. I want to be the church of God, not just personally in my life. I want to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I also want to be part of the bigger temple of the Holy Spirit. I want, to, I want God to dwell here at Rocky Peak. I want him to lead us. I want him to guide us. I want him to guide my life. I want him to guide my marriage, guide my kids, guide my finances. I want to be the temple of God. I want to experience the presence of God. And then we, 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 we bend down and we say, but you know, I don't really like this thing Paul said. I'm going to pull that one out. And you know, saying Peter said, I think that's kind of outdated. And saying John said, yeah, it feels a little old school. We take it out. And all of a sudden, our building starts to lean. And our building starts to crumble. Why? Because we are trying to remove the authority of the apostles from our lives. You know, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when the, first, the church starts, gets together and, and, and gets unleashed, and they come to Jesus, and 3,000 coming, since they divorced, it says the early church devoted themselves to four things. And the very first thing is the apostles' teaching. They are the designated representatives of Jesus Christ that he is authorized. He said, these are my guys. I am going to reveal myself to them. I'm going to speak through them. I'm going to take what I did and fully blow it out so you know how to follow me. And so the question I have for you is, what is your final authority? Because here's the reality. If you want to live an epic life, you have to come under the leading of the apostles and prophets. 
And, and if you decide to go through, and we're going to go through Ephesians, and there's going to be controversial stuff. And there's going to be things you're like, I don't like that. Well, I don't like it either. <laughs> but what does that have to do with it? You know? Like when you have a five-year-old and they don't like things, it's because you're five. When you're an adult, you will like it or you'll understand it, right? You're five, you're immature, you're stupid, right? You don't, you don't like, trust me in this, right? And many times we're five years old and we're like, I don't like that. I want to play in the street. I think it's a stupid rule. All right, you know, hope you make it to six, So the first question, I want to challenge you. If you want to live an epic life, what's your final authority? Is the Word of God your final authority, or do you pick and choose? All right, number two. Second question. The second question, and this will take a little explanation too, but uh, do you subscribe to two-tier spirituality? Do you subscribe to two-tier spirituality? I'm going to say, what is that? Well, I'll explain that. But um, this is really built off the next key word. The next key word is saints, right? That we are called to be saints. We've talked about this, how in the New Testament, this is a normal word for a Christ follower. You know, the word itself means a holy one. Um, and, and what that means is... Um, kind of something that's separated for God, something that's been chosen. Well, what's we've been chosen for? We looked at it last week. We've been chosen to be forgiven, chosen to be adopted, chosen to be filled with the Spirit, chosen to join with God in this kind of uh, cosmic uh, reclamation project, restoration project to bring all things to the leadership of Jesus. We've been chosen to be gifted, that we've been set apart from the rest of culture in general. We've been pulled apart, set apart for Jesus, right, and for this new community, this new humanity that he's building. And so this is what it means to be a saint. And so when we hear the word saint, we often think of, uh, like I said, some super spiritual category of person. Like um, uh, you may think of someone like uh, St. Patrick or St. Francis of Assisi. Or um, when I was a kid, I had a lot of Catholic friends, and they always had St. Christopher medals. So uh, we, we often think of someone like that. Now, Here's what I want you to catch. This kind of division of two different kinds of Christians. So it's the normal, everyday, average Christian, kind of most of us, and then the super special, elite, uh, kind of Navy SEALs of Christianity. Uh, This kind of mindset that there's two kinds of Christians is what I call two-tier spirituality. Two different kinds of people. They're the everyday, average Christians, That's what most of us are. And then there are the super spiritual high achievers. They are saints. And here's what I want you to catch. This mentality operates just as much in like kind of Bible-believing, Protestant, evangelical churches, say like Rocky Peak, as it often does in more traditional or liturgical churches. So often we think of, oh, yeah, saints, we, we get that, we get that. We don't have saints in our church. We don't have statues around. We don't bow down. We don't kind of venerate saints. We don't pray for saints. So we're, we're clear here, you know? So we're not like that Russian Orthodox, those people, or not like Greek Orthodox or Armenians or Catholics or whatever that kind of venerate saints. And we know we don't, we don't do that. But you know what? 
we may not do that, but we often subscribe to two-tier spirituality. That we have this mindset, there really are two different kinds of Christians. There are regular Christians, and then there are super Christians. People like pastors. People like, um, people like worship leaders. People like authors. People like, like kind of speak at Christian camp, like those kinds of people. Uh, me, elders. These are like special kinds of people. These are the kinds of people that God speaks to. These are the kind of people that are really passionate about Jesus. These are the kind of people that God, you, most of us, were in the stands. These, uh, these leader people, they're down in the field. We kind of watch them perform, and we clap or boo. You know, that's kind of our role. But, but there's these two different classes. And here's what I want you to catch. Two-tier spirituality is deadly to our spiritual life. Because if you buy into two-tier spirituality, it will severely, severely cripple you spiritually. In a couple ways. Let me, let me give you a couple examples. One way that it, uh, it, will, it will cripple you is, is in the area of vision. Like last week, um, we, we studied Paul's vision for our lives. It was for the church at Ephesus, right? It wasn't for the pastors at Ephesus. It wasn't for the elders at Ephesus. It was for the churches around Ephesus. And he says, here's God's vision for your life. You were chosen before time began, personally, by name. And you were chosen to be forgiven of your sins. You were chosen to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters of the king with all rights and privileges, You were chosen to be filled with God's spirit, God himself coming to live inside of you, and you were chosen to be part of this kind of epic uh, restoration process of the whole cosmos. You each have specific roles and assignments, and you're gifted for that. And God has chosen you to love you before all time, before all time, and he's chosen to love you for all time. That's why he chose you, so he could love you forever. Okay, that's the vision. But honestly, when you buy into two-tier spirituality, that is very hard for you to believe. You, you read that, and you might get excited about that, and you might cheer that. You might go, whoa, that's awesome. Great. And about Wednesday, when your life is feeling very normal, you're like, yeah, I don't really think so. I, I think it's really for you know, people like, like Mike. You know, like We're just so glad he's passionate because that's what we pay him for. That's what we pay him for, um, and, uh, and he's doing a good job. Not all pastors are passionate, so I, I love it. His passion, and I love it. He just loves Jesus, and, and this is awesome, and that's great. So we got a good pastor, and I'm proud of our pastor, right? Because other pastors aren't passionate. He's passionate. He's our, he's our guy. He's our guy. He's our man on the field. You know, we like watching him go, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> but for me, you know, I'm just a run-of-the-mill guy. I'm just a run-of-the-mill guy. I, I, I you know, I, I fix pipes, uh, I run a bank. Uh, I teach school. Uh, I'm an accountant, and so I'm just kind of one of the little people. And, uh, and, so, and so what happens is when you buy into two-tier spirituality, it robs you of God's vision for your life. You see what I'm saying? Let me put it this way. Like, like I am no different than you in terms of my core makeup, right? I have a different calling in my life. 
And this is where we often get confused. There are different levels of leadership. There are not different levels of life. It's totally different, right? Like I, like I shouldn't be more passionate than you because I'm a pastor and you're not. Like you're off the hook. Hey, there is a calling on your life. The calling on your life is to love God radically. That's a calling. Hey, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. If you don't get anything else right, start there. Number one, Jesus said, that's God's top priority. You think you get off of that because you're not a pastor? You think you get up there and go, I was kind of lukewarm, but then I was just one of the people. So I'm sure it's okay with you. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, I kind of wasted my life, but what do you expect, you know? Uh, just an everyday guy. Are you with me in this? See, this, this cuts both ways, middle woman, because sometimes, sometimes what, what I need to do is like cast this vision of God's vision for your life. So you go like, wow, because you feel bad about yourself. You feel second class and, and God wants to like blow the lid off that. So you're not first class. If you're in Christ, you have everything. And so sometimes I need to come along and encourage you, but sometimes I need to rebuke you. Because the reality is some of you are hiding behind this as an excuse for a mundane life. And you're not loving God as number one. And you're not pursuing him as your top priority. You're not passionate about him. You're passionate about everything else. You're not passionate about God. You're not using your gifts. You're not using your resources. You're not making a difference. You're going through life, wasting your life, and you're excusing it because you're not one of the top tier people. And we need to rip that away. When you get there, there is no excuse for that. There is no pass for that. You and I will be evaluated the same way. Now, there's different leadership roles. Paul is an apostle. Not everyone's an apostle. Paul's an apostle. He speaks for Jesus. Jesus has gifted Paul supernaturally with certain gifts to be an apostle. He's called me to lead this church. That's a calling on my life. He's equipped me and gifted me spiritually to do that. There's a calling on your life to respect that role of leadership. In fact, in Hebrews 13, it says to obey your leaders. Now, I don't pull that one out very often. (laughs) I'm saving it for something big. I've not used it once in 10 years. I figure, you know, next 10 years, I may need it. I got it in my back pocket. But, But, hey, should you respect that role? Yeah, you should respect that role. God's called me here to do that. I'm your leader. Submit to your leaders and all. Yes, respect that role. There's an honor and respect. But I want you to get, you and I are not different. We're not made from different stuff. I didn't get more of Jesus than you got. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. If you're outside Christ, you have nothing. And if you're inside Christ, you have everything. Are you with me? You follow this? Okay. So I said there were two things, two problems with this. One is it robs you of your vision for your life. But secondly, it really stops you from growing. Because here's what happens when you're reading your Bible, and it talks like in verse uh, 14, we're going to get there in a few weeks, and you don't have to look at this, but it's going to talk about how, how we've been given the Holy Spirit as this deposit guaranteeing our adherence. And, and you read about, um, you read in the Bible, this, it's kind of describing the life that you're called to live, and you're not, you're not experiencing that life. Or you come here on a weekend, and I'm teaching, or Dave's teaching, or Dre's teaching, and we're casting vision. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and talking about loving God with all your heart, or mind, or soul, whatever the thing is. 
that when you have this two-tier spirituality, what tends to happen is that's good for you to say, that's what we pay you to say, that's what leaders should say. But for me, I'm just a regular person, so if I'm not experiencing it, that's okay. And what happens is we stop pursuing God for our birthright. You see, you've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, and when you come to church, you're like, when you're not growing, you know what should happen is you should say, wow, the Bible describes my life this way. I'm not experiencing that. So it should cause us to go to God and say, God, what am I not getting? Is there something in my life I'm missing? Is there something you need to show me? Is there something I'm holding back as an area of life I'm not surrendering? Because this is describing something. Can I tell you something? I didn't even say this in the other service, but this book has driven my life so much. Because my early life as a Christian, I had the biggest disconnect because the power I read about here, I was not experiencing in my life. And this is long before I was a Christian. I mean, long before I was a, a pastor, or even thought of being a pastor. In fact, I, I didn't want to be a pastor at that point. Uh, I, so I still don't, but that's another thing. But, um, uh, but you know what happened is I would look at my life and I would look at this word and I'd say, there's a disconnect there. And it drove me. Because I believe this word was telling me the truth. And it's like, well, if this is what I'm supposed to be experiencing, I'm not, then God, what is it? And it drove me to seek it. But if you don't understand this is your birthright, it won't drive you to seek it. You'll just say, well, yeah, that's what it says, but it's for special people. Are you with me in this? This two-tier spirituality thing can destroy us. And so I'm saying, if you want to live an epic life, you have to get rid of it. You have to realize that that this book is for you. In fact, there is nothing in this book about two-tier spirituality in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had the priests, right? You had the priests and the laity. But do you know in, in 1 Peter, Peter says that we are now, as followers of Jesus, we are the new nation of Israel. He says we are the royal priesthood. We are the royal priesthood. We don't have these, okay, priests and people anymore. No, we all have access to God. We all have inherited. So there's nothing in this New Testament about two-tier spirituality. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. The apostle Paul, although clearly saying, I'm an apostle, speak as an apostle, so take me authority. That's my role and calling. He will equally say on the other side, he will say this. He'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. He will say, watch my life and put into practice what I do and the God of peace will be with you. He is assuming that his experience should be a model for our experience. You see, he's ahead of us, but like a parent's ahead of a child, that they're a model to follow, but not like the child will never get there. You see what I'm saying? So, so the second question, and this is what Paul is saying when he says that in Christ, you are in the heavenlies, and he says, you have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. You don't get more of Jesus. I don't get more of Jesus than you do. I got the same Jesus and everything with him as you do. It's the same thing. And so are you subscribing to two-tier spirituality? Number three. The third question is, are you accessing your resources? And this one really goes off of this, this final concept that we're being in Christ. And like I said, This is not a side issue for Paul. This is the heart of his message. Many theologians believe that this is the very heart and soul of Paul's whole message of being, when we come to Christ, we're in Christ, we're connected. And you see it all the time. Like, for example, there in Romans chapter 6, famous passage, where Paul says, don't you know, in other words, are you idiots? Um, (laughs) 
if you're reading it in context, that's pretty much what he's saying. He says, don't you know, like were you born yesterday, um, that all of us who were baptized what? Into Christ Jesus. So he asked Paul, how do you get into Jesus? You're baptized into Jesus. Now you might say, well, that sounds a little weird. Well, remember in the early church, there was no concept of a unbaptized Christian. And un, like, to them, when you, this is how you came to Jesus. This is how you said you wanted to follow Jesus. No one came to Christ and get baptized. That would, an unbaptized believer would be an oxymoron. Like, so you say, well, did the baptism make you a Christian? No, I don't think Paul would say that, but, but baptism is what symbolizes becoming a Christian. It's like, um, like, like doing a wedding ceremony. Does the ring on the finger make you married? Well, no, but I've never done a wedding where they don't exchange rings. So, so for Paul, that coming, believing in Jesus, being baptized in Jesus, it's all part of one process. It's all part of one thing. And so he says, and, and he assumes everyone's baptized. It's just like the, the, the concept of someone reading this letter in Rome, they're not baptized. It's like crazy. Like, what? Well, we're, we're. And so he says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Jesus, we came into Jesus, uh, were baptized into his what? His death. So what's he saying here? He's saying that when you were, came into Jesus, you were like organically placed in Jesus, you, you share all his experiences. So when he died to sin... Uh, and to, to himself, you died to sin to yourself. And when he was buried in the ground, like your old life was buried. This is how you got out of Adam. He died for you to get out of Adam. You have to get out of Adam somehow. You know, when you die, you're out of Adam. Well, he died for you. You're connected. So now you, you get out of Adam through Jesus. And you're buried, and you're going to rise through the power of the Spirit to live a new life. And then Ephesians, of course, says, and then you rise to the heavenlies. You know, we're sitting at the right hand. We're connected in the cloud, connected online with him. So he says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were therefore buried with him, share that through baptism into death, in order that the whole reason was so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is the whole point. Jesus came, died, was to take you with him. So when you, when you come in, you believe in Jesus, you're connected with him, you get all the results of that, and so now you can live a new life. You can die to your old life, you can rise with him to the new life, you have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you, and so you can leave your old life behind and live life that you were designed to live this epic life. That's the whole point of this thing. And so the point is, is when you come to Jesus, you have everything you need to live this new life. The question is, are you accessing those resources? Ephesians 1.3 says that we have all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So you've got them. Are you accessing? Like, for example, here at the church, we have a computer network. I go online. There's a million files there. I may access them. I may not. I'm online. I can access them. I, I have the ability to access them. Whether I do or not is up to me. And so, so you've got online with Jesus, and so you have all the resources you need to live this new life. But the question is, are you accessing those resources? You know, like, like you, because of what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection, you can go into the presence of God anytime you want and pray and talk with him and share your life. Because of that, you have the Holy Spirit. You can read this book, and the Holy Spirit can teach you from this book. Because you're online. You can spend time with God. You, you, can, you can learn how to lead a family. You can learn how to be a husband. You can learn how to be a wife. You can learn how to raise kids. 
You can learn how to handle your money. You can learn how to unleash your gifts. You can learn how to leave your old life behind and rise to a new life. You have, it's all there. But the question is, are you accessing it? Like someone's hurt you deeply. You're connected with Jesus. He will help you to forgive. You can access that forgiveness. It's not your forgiveness. It's his forgiveness in you. You can access it. But are you? You struggle with pornography. Great. But you're connected with Jesus. You have his death able to work in you to set you free from that. He's given you certain financial resources. He's called you to give. You may be stingy and fearful. And he has his generosity that you can go online and begin to pursue him for that, and you can grow in your generosity. So you can become a whole new person. You can rise with him to a new life, but you have to access. This is why we'll see later in Ephesians, it talks about putting to death and, and taking off your old clothes and putting on your new clothes. We have to access So as we go into this new year, here's the question I have is, are you accessing? You've been called to this epic life. Are you accessing the resources that you need to achieve that? And so we're going to be going into a time of communion right now. And I want you to still listen to me, right? This is the point in the message. You always go, put the notes away. (laughs) Goes under your seat. Okay, what do I do after church? What do I do? So so don't do that, right? This is important. We're going to be going into communion. What communion is about is it's a remembering the purchase price for us to go online. That's what it's about. It's about redemption. It's about remember the, the price is redemption, what the price is paid, his blood, for us to be in Christ. We are going back and celebrating the very act that allowed us to go online, to go in Christ. And as we celebrate communion today, here's what I want to do is I want to challenge you to these three questions that we've asked today. I want to say, are you ready to live this epic life? I've asked three questions. Who is your final authority? As we go into this year, what's your final authority? Is the word of God your final authority? Or is it traditions, the way you were raised, or what culture thinks? Like, what's your authority? Because you can't, you can't live epic if you keep pulling foundation stones out. And then I'll ask you a second question. Are you embracing God's vision for your life? Or are you living with two-tier spirituality? Is there change you need to make there? Are there excuses you need to stop making? Is there uh, something you need to embrace? Wow, that's awesome. I need to to rise to that. And then finally, are you accessing the resources that he's given you in Christ? Is there an area of your life you've not been accessing resources? Do you you need to start spending time with him? Is that what it is? Is there a decision you need to make? Is there an area to surrender? Are you accessing resources? So we're going to go into communion. It's our first time in this new building doing this, so let me tell you how it's going to work. Uh, We're going to go into a time of worship, and during that time of worship... Uh, we're going to stand up, and all around the room are communion tables. And there's even one at the very back for you in the back, the, very, the high back. There's some in the center. There's some on the sides. And so what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to, to get up and, and go. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you to go and, and take communion. Now, when you get there, uh, feel free to take it, find a, a quiet spot to think through these questions, to reflect, to spend some time with God. And, and then when you're done, what we'd ask is if there's trash cons along the side, just drop the cup in there because we don't want this carpet to look like the old carpet, the old place. Huh? One thing we did, uh, we noticed last night, there seemed to be a huge uh, like traffic jam right up here at the front. Like everyone seemed to come forward and they stuck over there. I just encourage you to go out to the sides. 
or to the back as, as you go. Um, but, but this time is a time for us just to come before God at the start of a new year and to thank Jesus for the redemption price that he paid to buy us back and be in Christ. And then to say, okay, now that we're in Christ, are we accessing all the resources that he's given us? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we pray now. We come in this time and we, we want to live epic lives. And we pray you'd help us as we, we think through our lives of what our final authority is. We think through... Uh, this vision, do we, do we have two-tier spirituality? As we ask the question, are we accessing those resources? We pray you'd meet us now as we worship you, and we thank you for this price of redemption that you paid to make this new life possible. We pray in Christ's name, amen.